Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor, and here on the podcast, we cover shows, movies, music that I'm trying to introduce to my friends and family, and we have conversations about it. Today's episode will exclusively deal with the season and series finale of Better Call Saul, Saul Gone, written and directed by Peter Gould, the showrunner of this very successful show. I'm pre-recording this, so I still don't know what we have in store for us here. This will be a very raw episode. Son and I will be having a true after-show conversation, giving you our immediate reaction. So the audio may be a little bit rawer than usual, but I do hope you appreciate the conversation. We're trying to get that to you as quickly as possible. Later in a week, check in for the weekend show. Nick is coming back on the show and discussing the new Marvel show, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, and also giving me his feedback on the series finale of Better Call Saul. We'll have another segment of the musical Daisy Chain where we keep linking songs together, and we'll be previewing House of the Dragon, the next show that we'll be covering from week to week. So subscribe so you know when all those episodes become available. If you'd like to support the show, some easy ways to do so, give us a rating if you haven't already. I know very few of you have actually given us a rating on your podcatchers of choice, but just tap the five star or whatever rating you'd like to give us, and it really does help grow our audience. The number one way we can grow our audience is to have you recommend us to your friends and family, anybody who might appreciate this conversation. And of course, check our backlog for other episodes you might find entertaining, other shows you might be watching or catching up on, or you want to relive them with us here on the podcast. And with all that out of the way, here is Peter Gould's closing statement on his show, Better Call Saul, the episode Saul Gone. All right, everybody, as I previewed in those opening comments, we are, Sona and I are hot off just minutes now, <laughs> just for brief minutes from the ending of Better Call Saul, the episode Saul Gone. I didn't realize that was the name, really. <laughs> you didn't realize? I and, love that. <laughs> you like a pun. You love a pun. I love a pun. That's such a good one, too. Works on different levels. Exactly. And uh, before we get into all that, I just want to point out a few interesting things here. Uh, AMC promoting the fact that, hey, Bob Oderkirk and Giancarlo Esposito are coming back in their own shows in 2023. Yep. And Vince Gilligan's new show just got picked up as well. I don't think it's an AMC. I'm not sure, though. There was also a commercial for the next season of Your Honor as well. Yes. I was going to ask you Mm -hmm. about that. I don't think that's something the world needs. And I say that as someone who enjoyed the first season, Um, but here we are. I was actually going to recommend people binge that show for the fact that I just got a notification like on Prime that there's a bunch of these uh, shows, Showtime shows that are available to stream by the end of the month. And uh, apparently this is not available there anymore, unfortunately. Mm. But but something they did promote that I have not watched, but I have heard good things about that people might want to check out. On AMC Plus, there's that show, Kevin Can F Himself. Yes, I'm so curious about that one. And if you wanted to watch it, Sona, on Amazon Prime, there's this, for some reason, they have this through the month, through the end of this month, so you still have a couple of weeks left. You can binge that entire show. It's available there for free. So anybody who wants to check that out, you can check it out. And the last thing is that they did a lot of free promotion for shows we will be covering here. <laughs> they had the House, <laughs> House of the Dragon show, which is starting next week, and The Patient, which we'll be covering. Mm-hmm. Sona, did you see that preview? I don't know if you saw that. I did. 
So that looks interesting. And uh, and of course, Interview with a Vampire, which is coming in October, which I do plan to cover with my sister. She has read every single one of those Anne Rice novels, which I can't imagine because I did read Interview with the Vampire a long time ago when I was a teenager and The Vampire Lestat, which I liked a lot, by the way. And I think I kind of got into the third uh, book and kind of quit on it. But I think there's been like nine of them now and I've heard they're pretty terrible. So I don't know how she hung in it that whole time. But <laughs> I mean, I just feel like I've reached my limit with vampires and zombies, but my threshold was very low to begin with, I will say. Oh, we have The Walking Dead, multiple Walking Dead shows that they are promoting today, too. So, of course, yes, you're zombies. Oh, I did like, by the way, you know, of all these little promos that they've been showing, teasing throughout the running this show. I had not seen the one with Saul Suits, which I, which I really liked this time. Yes, very clever. And I also had not seen, although I think this one's been around, I did like the one where you see the flyer with uh, money for any information about Saul's whereabouts, and he's the one who pulls the note off the, the board, which I yes. thought was very clever. So we open, and we're back in the desert. We have, what was, I don't remember the name of the episode, but this was from season five now, I guess, right? It was when He's getting the $7 million for Lalo and mm-hmm. walking it across mm-hmm. the desert with Mike. And I thought it was very interesting. He turns to Mike here that a couple of things. He says, first of all, we're sitting on $7 million. We should just take it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And shades of what happened with the Kettleman's, right? He could have taken millions of dollars from the Kettleman's and none of this would have happened theoretically if that was the case, perhaps. Of course, the stakes are much higher here because these people will be coming looking for that money mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> the Kettleman's could probably get bullied into never f- saying a word about that money. And of course, very importantly, Saul jokes that the first thing he would do would take six of the $7 million mm-hmm. and build a time machine. And of course, mm-hmm. this whole episode turns out to be a time machine, right? Mm-hmm. And he says to Mike, if you could go back in time and go anywhere, where would you go? And the first place he says is 2001. I'm not sure what the significance of that is. But then he changes his mind and says, I want to go back to 1984, which is when he first took a bribe. So now we kind of get a little insight into Mike's backstory that that was the beginning of this slide into the dark side for him. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know that I'm not good with a timeline and I like to have things spelled out for me. My initial instinct with that first date was that maybe it was that last conversation he had with his son about whether to go along with the corrupt police officers or not, but just total speculation on my part. The time frame makes sense because we're looking at the Breaking Bad time frame being basically in real time to that show beginning, which was in 2005 or so. And then, you know, looking a few years before then. So it, it does make sense. It would line up pretty well that, you know, it would be something to do with his son. Yeah, because we know how much that drives him, right? Of like the relationship they had and how he feels like he failed him. So that was my initial instinct and kind of backed up by when he backed the date out further to the date he took his first bribe, maybe like you know, when you find it's kind of almost like a legal theory of like, what was the last clear chance to get right. yourself on a different path, right? When right. was the last time you could have avoided being in the situation that you're in at this moment? And you can kind of track it back to that one decision, like, well, if I had just that day left my house five minutes later, none of this would have happened. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and then uh, Mike basically asks him, you know, uh, what would you go with? And he says, oh, you know, I'd go and invest in the Berkshire Hathaway back in 1965 and put half my money into that. And I'd be like a multi-billionaire by the time I traveled back to this date, which of course is what everybody kind of fantasizes about money. But 
Sure. But also one of those things, I think we've all had conversations like this, right? Where someone asks you a question that seems to be very deep and you give a very reflective right. answer. And then they just give you this crap in response right. <laughs> where you feel like, well, thanks. I'm happy I bared my soul to you for that moment. <laughs> but Mike knows right away. And this is kind of the theme of the whole episode, right? That Mike's mm -hmm. like, you wouldn't really want to change anything. And of course, that's what Saul mm -hmm. keeps saying throughout the whole entire episode. I wouldn't change anything. But of course, we'll see how that all plays out by the end. Another funny thing here is just to uh, uh, to pick some nits, just to be my uh, overly logical self about these things. If he traveled back in time and tried to put that money to Berkshire Hathaway, they would not accept the money because it would look like counterfeit because the dates would be all wrong for 1965. And they would <laughs> <laughs> laugh him right out of the bank. <laughs> Another reason that plan would not work, as if building a time machine wasn't complicated enough. I like that he had a budget for it, though. <laughs> he was working that all out. Should be able to get that done with six million. <laughs> then we see the broken title sequence again that mm -hmm. I referenced in last week's episode. And then we see Saul's on the run. I mean, they they really are, you know, they really were looking for him. This kind of, they, they go guns a blazing right away. He's got a copter in the air. And at first you think maybe he's just being a little over paranoid. Maybe it's not legitimately the case. But by the time he gets home, cops are crawling everywhere and he tries to escape into a dumpster. He tries to make the call to Robert Forster's vacuum salesman. Mm -hmm. But none of that, that's all for naught. The cops are basically standing outside the dumpster mm -hmm. and he's caught dead to rights, apparently. Yeah. And I like that they didn't drag this out too much. Yeah, I agree. But then it did make me curious to be like, well, what is this episode going to be about? Yes. And I, I think they did a lot here, actually, that I preferred to a giant may have been very tense chase scene, but that was probably going to end in the same way, one way or the other. True. I like this detail here that the cops are watching his ads at the police station, just confirming mm -hmm. that he is indeed. So the mistake of him to put those ads everywhere, right? Like I'm sure they were only famous in New Mexico but when he was on the run. I'm sure everybody saw them all over YouTube. And of course he decides, wait a second, I have one more call to make. And he calls his old friend, Bill Oakley. Who's this now is working? The guy that switched sides. He switched right? sides, exactly. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's right, Bill Oakley switched sides. <laughs> and you see that Saul is suddenly feeling very cocky. And you're like, well, what is going on here? How is he so confident all of a sudden? And he shows up for the negotiations and he's got everybody there. The DA is there, ATF agents are there, drug enforcement, everybody. And they're like, you know what? We have like 180 years <laughs> concurrent, mm -hmm. but maybe we'll get you down to 30. What, how does that sound, Saul? And Saul says, I have a better deal for you. And he reads the room really well. Uh, and sadly, Marie is there, Hank's wife, and she is not happy about this turn of events at all. And he comes in with the story, the story that we flashed back to actually just mm -hmm. a couple episodes back. And now we realize why that was so important that he says two years ago, this guy called Mayhew comes into my office and he put a gun to my head. And by the way, everything he says is true. And this is what a, that's <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah. What a good liar does. Right. He tells you the truth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and of course, it is a compelling story. And most importantly of all, he basically says, hey, um, you have a perfect record. You've never lost a case. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to put it all on the line? And the, he is able to finagle this thing where he gets seven years, which is pretty astonishing. Mm-hmm. And not even happy with that, though. He just keeps <laughs> right on right. going. Then he wants to be, you know, he wants to go to this bucolic location of prison. I don't know where this prison is, but I guess it's, I was sure if I looked it up, <laughs> the writers know what they're talking about. It's probably a beautiful location. I think they said North Carolina, right? North Carolina, yes. Yeah. FCI Buckner. And he wants to be where in Wing it's, D. 
has to be wherever winky. Bernie Madoff is. <laughs> That's right. That's right. They have a golf school mm-hmm. and everything there. And I thought he yeah, was working some angle here. I thought that he like, you know, the fact that it had to be in a specific wing, <laughs> like, does he know somebody there that can get him out or something like the Shawshank Redemption or something? <laughs> but no, he's just keeping trying to push things a little further, a little further. Then he wants that ice cream. Oh, I want my special ice cream delivered to me every Friday. And they're like, okay, all right. But Enough. he says, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he says, hey, you know, he's pushing things. I have one more sweetener for you. Did you ever hear about this guy? This guy, <laughs> Howard Hamlin? And of yes. course, everybody laughs and they're like, oh, you think that's a sweetener? Guess what? Mm-hmm. I guess you don't talk to your ex-wife anymore because she mm-hmm. came in and she told us everything, which, of course, is the first time that we see Saul kind of unnerved here. Mm-hmm. Now, a I mean, interesting, things, yeah. since he's the one that told her to do it. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, that's the interesting thing about that. When you play it back, I thought I was thinking about it when I was editing last week's episode. And including that audio, by the way, is exactly that, is that he basically says that to her. And, you know, the way Saul is, Saul's, you know, he's always running away from the truth. So when he's confronted with it, he just runs away. And then he does it to Kim. And Kim's the opposite. She's kind of like, he's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really don't have a reason to, you know, I don't have any more excuses. I really should do this. And she does. Now, a couple of things uh, I wanted to ask you from a legal perspective is, do you buy this at all? Would you see somebody actually reducing the sentencing down to seven years? Is that even plausible? Well, yeah, as usual, my disclaimer that this is (laughs) not the field of law I practice in. Certainly people do make deals all the time. I think though, you have to really have something great that you're trading in order to make a deal like this. Right. Um, And I didn't really see him putting up anything that would warrant such a drastic reduction in a sentence and then like at a country club type prison and all of that. Um, So conceivably maybe but practically speaking it just seems like very hard to understand why i I can understand why they'd make a deal i can't understand why they would make this kind of deal you know i did think uh it was kind of funny the idea of like the riskiness of a jury trial and all you need is that one person right um because that is definitely you know juries are a wild card and you never really know what you're going to get and <laughs> how people are going to think so you know there's something to all of it but whether it would have ever actually played out this way practically speaking i, I do have serious questions about that yeah i feel the same way and i assume you know, maybe I'm giving them too much credit here. I assume that there is some information that he could provide. For example, the workings of Walter mm. White's um, business mm-hmm. itself, which obviously mm-hmm. he was privy to. So he's probably giving them all that stuff. But okay, then that's fair. and that's where they're telling him even initially that like, hey, we'll give you 30 years because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they do want him to co- cooperate to some extent. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll cooperate. <laughs> but I want much less than 30 years. Right. And then, you know, to that point, you know, they probably do want to dot some I's and cross some T's and you know, find out how this whole uh, system actually worked, this whole business and who else might have been involved. So I'm sure there was some value there, but still it seemed like incredible that they would reduce it so much. Except like you said, I think that he makes a compelling case in the fact that he makes that story. He tells the truth basically. Mm -hmm. And like he says, do I get one juror to hold out? How long Mm -hmm. is this going to drag on for 10 years? Like how many, how many retrials would you have to try to get me in jail at all? Mm -hmm. So I could see that. And then my next question for you is the next sequence. I'm very happy to see Brian Cranston yet again, Walter White. Mm-hmm. And we see that they were bunking together in 
where were they in the basement somewhere? Now, see this, yeah. I did not remember from yeah. Breaking Bad at yeah. all. And it me too. very well could be there. I would not question it in the least if you told right. me it was there. I just don't have a specific memory of this scenario. Yeah. I have to do uh, some research on this myself. I'm probably going to have a follow-up conversation later in the week. And I'll do my mm-hmm. due diligence because exactly I had the exact same reaction you did where I'm like, I'm sure this actually happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I have watched Breaking Bad, which I have never rewatched, by the way, but if I did rewatch it dozens of times, like many people have, I probably would know exactly what where this scene takes place. But I do not remember at any time Walter and him holding up. Uh, I mean, the only time I can imagine him freaking out was when he was saying, hey, I'm going to like basically ship out to Nebraska. And uh, that seemed to be the last time they interacted. So I, I, I do not remember this at all, unless the only other theory of the case I have, by the way, is that Walter was being disappeared by the vacuum guy, as was Saul. So was this kind of where they were kicked hmm. out temporarily while they were waiting to, to cool down? Because they were in the same you know, disappearing uh, pipeline, right? So maybe this is their phase one was being in this safe house first. Interesting thought. I could be wrong. There could be a specific moment in the show that this pertains to it. I do not remember it. I do. Uh, once again, we go back to that time machine conversation, <laughs> which mm-hmm. uh, Walter is not happy to, to indulge any kind of science fiction about time travel. I do but like I this love convers- the way he cuts to the chase, right? Yes, of like, yes. what are we really trying to talk about here? Exactly. These are regrets. That's what we're really talking about. Let's just talk about mm-hmm. that. And I did like to see this. You know, we got to revisit these moments with these characters we've learned, grown to love over time and kind of have these very one more interaction with all of them. And I really love, by the way, you know, unlike some of the criticism I had of seeing Al- Aaron Paul in this role earlier, I love how Cranston immediately is back in that Walter White mm-hmm. character. They just mm-hmm. feel Walter's there again, like the way that he is you know, on his high horse, you know, smarter than everybody else, has it all figured out. And of course, we know that. That was his downfall in a lot of ways as well. Mm-hmm. So I do find it, you know, this is the pot calling the kettle black where he's like asking if there's any kind of regrets. And he's saying that, you know, he's being critical of Saul being like, oh, so you are always this way. Right. And Saul, <laughs> like, kind of t- <laughs> Saul takes a little sting of that. But hey. Right. Because Walt. once again, though, <laughs> even here right now, the pretense of the time machine is gone. Right. And they've said we're talking about regrets. And we know that one of the things that has, you know, always been a sticking point for Walter is this business that his friends started and right. yep. with him and, be, you know, became massively successful without him. So once again, someone has opened up to him and he tells this stupid story yes. about a slip yep. and fall. Right? <laughs> right. Exactly. It is interesting to think about Walt in this moment, talking about that from a, I mean, we've heard this story before, obviously we know how hurt he was by it, but we also see this kind of revision he makes to that moment in time. Yeah. And he literally says the words, right? That had had that not happened, I wouldn't be sitting here with you now. Right. And it, and then by the way, this kind of adds something that we kind of already suspected from Breaking Bad, but just kind of reiterates it once again, that that is the thing that has kind of driven him to be this or want to be this um, drug kingpin. It isn't only about him doing something that he loves and feeling important and providing for his family, et cetera. It's also the fact that he knows he missed the boat on like being a multimillionaire and being somebody. And he's like, well, if I can't do it, then, you know, if I can't do it in a, this way, like a legitimate mm-hmm. way, then I'll do it in an illegitimate way. And he gets suddenly this, you know, reprieve, like basically right before he's dying to make this impact. And he, you know, his ego wouldn't let him not do it. So, but it, it is interesting that we're kind of going back to the root cause of all of these bad behaviors. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah, of course, Saul, always being Saul, <laughs> running from the truth with that stupid, you know, slip and fall story, like you said, can never admit anything true, really, in, in the show. He's, he's always wearing a mask, even to himself. But of course, going back to that conversation where he doesn't have the sweetener that he thought he had, he is concerned about Kim. Mm-hmm. And we do spend more time with Kim. I wasn't sure that we'd see Kim again in this episode. I was kind of surprised. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought that was like her farewell last time. It's interesting. I actually thought maybe there's some kind of reunion for them, maybe sometime in the future. And uh, we get that, right? But not the way I expected. That's for sure. (laughs) Oh, one thing I want to call out about when he uh, does that confession is that he mentions that it was two years ago that Mayhew came into his office. So just to speak to the fact that this is pretty hot on the heels of yes. of the massacre, right? Walt's massacre, right? Uh, of the uh, the white supremacists, right? Yeah. Because you have to think about the math there. Once again, we know that that show begins with Walt's birthday. Canonical chronology of the show pretty much until the very end uh, is one year, right? Because we see him have another birthday. And then we jump ahead. The day of the uh, massacre is his subsequent birthday so two years later so basically mm-hmm. that, the, the time frame we see within breaking bad is two years Saul's not there right away but he's there pretty soon thereafter right. so you know this is probably just months after you know basically walt has just died maybe months before just to speak to the fact that his re- memories of walt and these kind of emotional reactions he's having to walt are probably pretty fresh considering like, Very recent. like all yeah. over the news just days before probably mm-hmm. And also speaks to the fact that I think inevitably they would have found Saul, right? Because I figure that's still so fresh. I thought he was like years past what happened in Breaking Bad. It had that feeling, yeah. I feel like somebody's going to notice him at some point. It's inevitable. What did you think about seeing Kim back in the office and just like all of a sudden the things that she seemed to, this weird purgatory she was in, which she seemed to have some passing life there she seemed to take some pride in writing the catalog you know descriptions she was spending time on the actual floor you know learning about the product she was writing you know uh, Mm -hmm. the descriptions for so it seemed like she was somewhat vested there in in these friendships and in everything even though it seemed like i said you know like we discussed last week a little (laughs) depressing now it seems like she's just a shell of a person when we see her there now right thinking about this well you know we talked about last week how we were kind of seeing each of their version of punishing themselves for what had come before. So I'm just wondering if maybe it's more like now she has absolved herself of everything she's been carrying with her. So she's like, well, screw this. Why, why am I? That's a good point. Like yes, that's a good point. <laughs> I have nothing I'm running from anymore. So what is this life? If anything, she's waiting for the other shoe to drop because even like they mentioned to Saul that potentially... Uh, Howard's uh, widow is potentially still ramping up to come after her. Although that is, like we discussed last time, maybe an MPD threat because what's the point of that other than to torture her, right? Right. I mean, this lady has enough money, so. Right. And then Kim decides to do something good. She decides to volunteer for the legal aid uh, at the legal aid office. And they're, (laughs) I mean, they're so desperate for help. They're like, can't, you know, if you can answer (laughs) her phone, then start working right now. Come on in. (laughs) And that's when she gets a call from the old, uh, her old friend at the prosecutor's office mm-hmm. kind of gives her head up, heads up that Saul is coming to New Mexico to give testimony against Kim, mm-hmm. which of course is what he's trying to do is lure her out. And of course that gets her on a plane back to New Mexico. Saul always has a plan. <laughs> he always does. Mm-hmm. Saul shows up in one of his signature shoot suits. He's back in his. So shiny. So shiny. He loves the shiny suits. 
<laughs> even in black and white, it yes, was clear how exactly. shiny it was. You know how loud that shirt is. Even <laughs> it's probably that red that you see in all the promo materials, and you hear him saying, "There's breath. It's showtime." <laughs> <laughs> And the judge starts to question the sentencing here, which <laughs> like we just did, we did, it seems completely rational. <laughs> and then he interrupts, like, how, what did you think about this whole scene? This is like very improper. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is kind of a funny thing about being in court is that like in some ways it feels so formal and there's so much um, pomp and circumstance to it. And then in other ways, it's absolute complete chaos. <laughs> and so I feel like it was actually captured very well. Like the idea of like that one side that shows up with the army of attorneys and they're just introducing people for like five minutes straight. And then there's just like two guys on the other side. I mean, yeah. that definitely happens, you know, comical, you know, people standing up to just interject something. And then the judge is like, you know, a senior who's a little hard of hearing and like, I can't hear you. What? You've got to come closer. <laughs> like it just all sorts of like, it's really crazy because you can be in this really, you know, formal, amazing, impressive courtroom and people are just like screaming at each other. So um, I found all of this really uh, fun to watch. It is a total tangent, but I do like the fact that, you know, once again, Saul, you know, like you've mentioned before has, probably more verisimilitude than than most of these shows. But I do find it very funny when you do watch these shows on Netflix, for example, these documentaries, and you see what a courtroom is really like. And it's exactly like you said, the judge sometimes seems like to not be following what's happening in real time. Yes. <laughs> you know, the lighting is horrible. It's like very, you know, institutional with that flat overhead lighting. And then of course, there's often times where you actually hear the testimonies, which if you've seen dramatizations, it's this very dramatic test, test, testimony. And then when you watch it in real time, you say, oh, was that even convincing testimony? Like that's that's the piece of testimony that convicted this guy, really? Like that, I don't, I don't even think I followed the logic of that stuff. Mm -hmm. right? so it's kind of funny when you, uh, you know, see the reality of it versus uh, the, the Hollywood version that we always get. And then he interrupts the judge. <laughs> the judge is basically warning him, like, you better sit down because you, you, you have a great deal here. You should just take it. There is like a very well-known idea among litigators of like, when the judge is on your side, shut up and sit <laughs> right. down. Like You can only get worse. If you can see that things are going your way, just zip it. So <laughs> yeah, it's almost the judge herself trying to tell him that. <laughs> I like that Bill Oakley tries to quit in the middle of this whole thing. <laughs> Yes. And we actually, we, you know, I was watching with my husband and, and his reaction was, you know, she's not going to let him set himself up for an appeal like that. Uh-uh. He's got to finish this now. So. so yeah, so Saul comes clean about everything. You know, he basically starts with the same exact story. And at first you might be thinking that he's pitching it going like, well, let me tell you, this is the story mm -hmm. I told that convinced everybody. But that's not his plan. He's like saying, that's how I did feel actually for a moment. And we actually see that interestingly, once again, when I was rewatching last week's episode for the podcast to uh, capture the audio, you see when he is, you know, in the back of that van yeah. and mm -hmm. he is terrified. He's terrified. Yeah. But of course, we also see the scene afterwards where he starts thinking, I can control this guy. And yeah. we see the two sides of it. And that's what he basically admits to this week. He was the mastermind. He was the mastermind to a large extent. I mean, obviously Walt was, you know, his own person, but uh, he did help in a lot of ways. And a lot of people's lives got destroyed. Mm -hmm. And of course, this screws his whole entire deal. <laughs> they even swear him in in the middle of this whole thing so they can get it on the record. 
But he does get one little reward. He looks back at Kim and Kim gives her just this little smile. And I think that's all he really needed at that moment. And then, of course, we see one more time travel, one more flashback to Chuck. We see him with Chuck. You know, I thought this was actually really poignant the way they brought this um, continuing theme throughout the show. Right. Mm -hmm. Back into the finale of the relationships you have who these people that you love so much understand you to be versus who you actually are and how you try and break patterns, but you just can't, but you still love each other. And like, it's, it's so complicated. And, and I think they did a really job, a really nice job of like distilling all of that in this conversation between them where, you know, he's saying, well, I could tell you about this stuff, but why? So you can judge me. And like, you know, he even says at some point, we just have the same conversation over and over And I think, you know, we all have those relationships in our life, especially with family, I think, right? Where you love each other, you'll always be in each other's life, but this person is just driving you to drink because you are just having the same conversation over and over in different contexts throughout the course of like decades, right? So um, I thought, you know, really beautifully done to bring that back and um, the, you know, tying that together with the idea of, you know, first of all, the literal, uh, book right yes a little little too little (laughs) a little little. on the nose um and but you know finally this person who's very like hashtag no regrets like (laughs) here is the real true how he didn't know where the limit was if he could do it again this is the thing that he would change yeah it's interesting like you said that they bring up all these different moments of time travel and all these characters in his backstory and kim of course very important although oftentimes maybe took him in the worst direction. But like you said, this is maybe the route, you know, to mirror what the previous flashback Walt's instigating event, which is the, 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 you know, him being feeling left out by that, you know, people getting rich off of his own inventions and then his ego in basically not even willing to be a partner. Because when you think about that, you know, he could have still had some success, you know, he didn't have Mm -hmm. the big shot and he ended up losing everything because of his own uh, hubris. And here you have a situation where this is the root with his brother, right? That this relationship is what led to all of this terrible things that came later because he was trying to fix this relationship and, you know, unable to ever accept blame for his brother's death uh, and all these bad things that happened, which of course, by the way, he finally confesses for the very first time that he's like mm-hmm. responsible for his suicide, <laughs> which of course, Bill Oakley even calls out. He goes, what was that thing with your brother? That's not even a crime. <laughs> <laughs> that it's hysterical <laughs> i totally missed that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just wanted to get everything off his chest even the stuff that doesn't matter <laughs> and now we see him on the bus headed towards montrose which once again i don't know this prison either but apparently it's not a nice one <laughs> it's the one the he didn't alcatraz want to go to. of the rockies yes alcatraz of the rockies but maybe not so bad he's a little bit of a celebrity and even though he's not i'm not saul I'm Jimmy. Mm-hmm. No, nope, everybody calls him Saul. And we see him making the bread, you know, using putting his uh, Cinnabon talents to, to good use. Yes. In the prison. And they still call him Saul. They're like, hey, Saul, your lawyer's here. And of course, who's his lawyer? Kim Wexler. Whose bar card did not have an expiration date. <laughs> Which you did call out last time that you're like, I don't think <laughs> you can just quit like that. Apparently you can't. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I guess she did quit, but like she said, the bar card didn't have an expiration date. So nobody was checking. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
And what do you think of this final scene? We have this very, you know, this show has always kind of been this sun-drenched noir to a large extent. And now we have a very traditional kind of noir scene here, this black and white in a prison cell, the the dame and the, the guy with, you know, against the wall, smoking a cigarette with the light coming through the windows. It's like almost like a, a kind of a standard issue for these type of noir Well, you films. saw the orange flame though, right? Yes. Good point. Yeah. And I thought, um, to me, it was very reminiscent of when they would take their smoke breaks at the yes. law firm, mm-hmm, right? Of course. So yeah. kind of all coming full circle to how they got to know each other to begin with. Exactly. So it's this kind of rekindling that camaraderie between them. And also the little flame with the color, like you mentioned, uh, is a little bit of that old life, right? It's like whenever he's looking back on his old life, he has those that color there. So there's still a little spark of it there. And I mean, this is where we end things, right? She exits the prison she's exiting she's walking past the fence and she is looking back at him and then we see him through the fence and then the wall comes between them and basically that's the last time she sees him she can visit him as a lawyer of course mm-hmm. but his deal's out the window and he's going to be in there for a very very long time so yeah 80 some years right <laughs> which i guess <laughs> with good behavior hey never know 30 years or so <laughs> he could be out of there they can uh move back in together when he's in his 80s you never know but with a clean conscience. <laughs> yes, apparently so. <laughs> so how did you feel that as a final beat on this whole entire show? You know, I liked it. I'm still processing it. Of mm-hmm. course, it's been like not even an hour. <laughs> right. But I, I think it did a nice job of, you know, addressing those themes that had been established throughout. I think it was a satisfying ending, not in the way that Breaking Bad was satisfying, mm-hmm. where it just was like so intense and awesome that like they managed to do so much. Not in that way, but in a way of like emotionally satisfying. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think that, you know, it was really nice to have those kind of grace notes with all these characters we've seen in the past. But I don't know that like this, that that final, final image is maybe not what I was hoping for, like just kind of the final note I would have hoped to take away from the show. But like you said, I mean, we've literally just finished watching this half an hour ago, so (laughs) we probably need to process it a little bit more. You know why I think, um, as I'm thinking about this in the exact moment we're talking about it, I think Breaking Bad had a feeling of finality to it, that this does not. But I feel like that suits this show, Right. that it feels like the story is not quite over. I feel like that's very in keeping with what the show was. Yeah, I agree. And you brought up a really good point with just that little flame when they light that cigarette and he has that little bit of color again in his life. Because like you said, it's a flashback. Once again, we're traveling back in time to those moments. They had those stolen cigarettes back in the law office when he first met her. And like you said, maybe that's not the last of that color, right? Maybe there will be more. She will visit him. She will. They'll still have this relationship. Although he is, you know, uh, behind bars, right? So like, no, he's not getting out. (laughs) Right. There's just so much they can, you know, so much they can have as a relationship in that regard. At least he does get to have something. Two questions I have to you. One is a practical. One is more like thematic. So one is that now he gets to this exile that he put himself into in Nebraska, where he he is this other character and he can't be himself. And he has to always be in fear that he'll be found out. So now he's in prison. He's kind of confessed to everything. He's now in this other limbo, but he at least has gotten everything off of his chest. And maybe he feels like he's doing his penance. Yeah. And I think so much of this, at least can be read as 
driven by his love for her and going back to that conversation of like, you should turn yourself in. Right. And him saying, you turn yourself in. And she does. Right. And then, you know, he kind of does his part too, even though his part is a lot harder to do than her part. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, so I mean, in that way, I don't know. I think this is my, my general feeling about life, just on a personal level. It's like, it's, it's so hard to know when the story is over, right? right the story right. is, it, it's so often that the story is not finished between right. you and somebody else in your life. And that's one of the the crazy things about living and having relationships is like, the, sometimes the last time you see somebody is not, you know, what you thought it would be. And you didn't realize it was the last time you thought that story was going to go on. So I feel like it captured that idea of like, the story is not finished. It, yeah, it's not going to be the greatest love story ever told. They're not going to run away and live happily ever after. But I don't think they're done with each other either. Yeah. I mean, the past is prologue, as they say, right? So maybe the story never does end. Yeah. So he still gets to have her in his life in this way. But the more practical, <laughs> here's my practical version of this is, and maybe this is getting muddying my appreciation for this, uh, which I agree. It's him finally reconciling everything in his past, right? He's finally, you know, for the first time ever, possibly. Uh, accepting who he is. And Saul is gone, right? That's really the title here too. He is mm-hmm. Jimmy, even though everybody's still calling him Saul in mm-hmm. prison. So maybe Saul can't escape. Maybe maybe that Saul part of him is still going to happen in prison, right? I'm sure you can start like, some businesses there. And I'm start. sure. <laughs> I have a feeling there's going to be more of that when he's, they're going to have a whole other series of what his uh, yes. shenanigans inside the prison. But as far as the relationship with, with Kim, I assume she's going to continue to visit him that like you said it doesn't feel final he's not like saying live your life without me he is having that cigarette with her he is kind of reliving that past with her and i do think that they're kind of rebuilding to some extent that bond again so i figure she will come and visit sometimes yeah and i mean like the intimacy of trading the cigarette back and forth like Mm -hmm. it's so sweet and uh but i think to myself isn't there a way he could have kind of split the difference here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and ended up with like you know, a little more penance than he did before. But uh, maybe getting out of there in 10 years or something. But <laughs> I, I, I guess that wouldn't have been as satisfying. I think it's not that kind satisfying. of a show, though, yes, right? I agree. I, I agree. just think it's not that kind of a show. <laughs> I, I'm t- talking like from a practical sense of like, you know, his this being an actual person and what they would do. But I do agree that in the show itself, you know, if he's going to commit to this, he wants to prove to her that this isn't just another con he's running. He's just going to do it. And the only way to do it right. is to just fess up to everything. Right. So and that's where we leave him. Saul survives this whole thing, but he'll be in jail for the rest of his life. Until we have like an El Camino-like movie where he he escapes (laughs) with a bunch of prisoners. They make like an Oh Brother, Where Art Thou type film with them, him on the lam. Could happen. You never know. Him and Jesse could end up together. (laughs) Rooming somewhere in Canada or Alaska. Yeah. So that was the, the show. And uh, just like uh, our episodes ending on a whimper, just kind of like the show did too. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. There we have it. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as the show, the podcast, everybody, we will be covering Only Murders in the Building. I have not seen today, this week's episode. Is it out yet? No. Is it? No, it's Monday. I forgot. What, I usually record on Tuesday. So the episode is available. <laughs> Forgot what day it was. No, it's still Monday. <laughs> so episode's not even out yet. But uh, <laughs> that explains why we haven't caught up yet. That explains why I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it because it's not out there. <laughs> but uh, we will be watching this week's episode of Only Murders in the Building and next week's. And then on Tuesday, I would assume, 
Son and I will get together and we will give you our final thoughts on the end of that season. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to say about it right now, Sona, but I'm a little disappointed with this really cool twist they you know, brought up in the show. And I feel like for the last couple episodes, they haven't done much. As a matter of fact, if you watched last week's episode, one of the characters is like, hey, nothing's happened on the show for like five weeks. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I I'm right there with you, buddy. <laughs> I'm not sure which twist you mean, but I will say that um, there was so much um ambient light in places that there would be no ambient light. You wouldn't be <laughs> right. able to see your hand in front of your face in reality. Good point. Good point. <laughs> Especially during a blackout. As someone who has experienced a blackout in a New York City high rise, yes, <laughs> it can get really freaking dark in certain parts of the building. The, the twist I was talking about, by the way, Sona, was that when they kind of revealed that there were these walkways inside the walls, I yes. honestly was thinking, oh, wow, this is incredible. We are now going to see, for example, like they'll have suspects, but they'll be able to spy on them and like get additional clues. And then we actually see it briefly just one time where you can start having compassion for these people because we really don't know their yes. real lives. And, you know, and I was thinking like, wow, how cool that they've introduced this like additional layer of, you know, uh, this voyeurism. Uh, you know, which of course in the city, you're always spying on each other. And now in this case, you're literally can spy on anyone you want within that building. And I thought this was just such a cool conceit and they did like nothing with it. I was really shocked by that, to be honest. Yeah, that's a fair criticism. <laughs> and I mean, My criticism being yeah. that I know at some point people had flashlights, but at some people, at some <laughs> yes. points they did not. And you really would not be able to see your hand in front of your face in that kind of environment. Especially when you see them uh, running around, you know, in that most recent episode, like you said, when there is all this light leaking through the walls, you can imagine yes. there's this light inside the walls. But when, during a blackout, it's like, where's the light coming from? Exactly. <laughs> Unless they have emergency lights everywhere, but who knows? Who knows? Hmm. But anyway, all that being said, we have this week's episode and next and the show is over. So we will be wrapping up the entire season uh, and get our final thoughts there. <laughs> we got some of them right now. We'll get some more next week. <laughs> Also, the following after that, the show that, you know, they had a little teaser here during Saul, the patient on FX on Hulu. So available on Hulu. They call it FX on Hulu, but you can't watch it on FX. You have to watch it on Hulu, which is fine because who has FX anyway? <sighs> <laughs> and I will also be discussing Saul, Better Call Saul later this week when I talk to Nick who's also a lawyer and also watches Better Call Saul. He's watching this right now, so I'll get his opinion on it. And we'll also be, speaking of lawyers, be discussing the first episode of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Uh -huh. <laughs> the new Marvel show, which uh, is hilarious looking. And uh, as a matter of fact, has um, Mark Ruffalo in there as the Hulk. And they have Daredevil back also. So they've kind of uh, put, bring out some big guns to launch this show, which looks very silly on paper. But uh, I am interested to see if they are doing something interesting with the character. Hmm. I'm sure you'll be wanting to see that. A Hulk in the courtroom. <laughs> uh, yeah, you let me know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll be waiting with bated breath. <laughs> all right. So we'll uh, look forward to all of that. And uh, make sure you subscribe so you know when that becomes available. And uh, I'm sure, Sona, once we have more time to reflect uh, next week when we discuss only murders in a building, we might have a few additional thoughts on Saul as well. Sure. All right. Have a good night. Okay. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 bye.